0: Hello and welcome back to the Irish Tennis Updates podcast. My name is Adam, your host. This week I have been talking to Claire Curran. Claire had a huge amount of success in tennis, both as an Irish tennis player and as a British tennis player. She now lives in the UK where she still works a lot in tennis both in media and in the coaching side of the sport. This is this episode is in two parts and this is part 1. This episode, we talk about Claire's current work in tennis, her early days in tennis, how she got into the sport. We also talk about her junior days and we talk about her time in U.S. college when she went to Berkeley and how that experience was and how she found those years in U.S. college. Towards the end of the episode, Claire discusses winning the NCAA championships in doubles in her final year. And how that led to a wild card for that year's US Open in 2000. And the episode ends with Claire talking about that match in the US Open where she drew Martina Hingis and Mary Pierce and had a great match with them. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and if you do, please make sure to tune in again next week for part two of this great chat with Claire Kern. Here we go, here is part one, and here is Claire Kern. All right, Claire. A big thanks for coming on for a chat today. Uh, how are you doing? Well,
1: Adam, thanks very much for having me on. And um, I have to say, I, to be honest with you, I, I'm always looking for great podcasts to listen to. I particularly like listening to anything tennis related. Um, and I was delighted to, um, to just you that you got in contact with me because it. It gave me the opportunity, obviously, to tune in to, to the podcast, and I've really enjoyed um, listening to actually what is now becoming quite a lot of uh, interviews that you've done with various people through Irish tennis. I think it's brilliant. Um, I've enjoyed, actually, um, particularly listening to to former, especially Fed Cup um, teammates of mine and listening to their journey and the similarities that, that we've had kind of throughout it. And I just think it's,
0: it's, it's fantastic what
1: you're doing. So thanks very much for having me on.
0: Well, great. No, brilliant. Thanks very much. And, and just to start, Claire, I know that obviously we're coming into kind of to Wimbledon time, and which I'm sure is a busy time for people involved in British tennis um, like yourself. So just tell me a bit about the work you're doing at the moment, obviously this time of year and, and just kind of generally how, how you are with tennis at the moment.
1: Well actually, unfortunately, I'm not so busy during Wimbledon with, um, with any work for the LTA. It's actually more media commitments, so I work during Wimbledon for Radio Wimbledon and the Wimbledon Channel, um, so that's pretty much full-time, two weeks of completely covering every single court, whether it's court one, centre, Backwards, but it's just really being around Wimbledon and the whole experience and then obviously broadcasting that. Um, on the other side of my my life, I have a little bit of a media role at the moment. Um, just throughout the year, I do quite a lot of commentary for the WTA tour and also the ATP tour. Um, but I also am a consultant for the for the LTA on the on the women's team. So I, I guess I would be a national women's senior coach. Um, so I I have had this year quite a big role um, in the development of one of Britain's. Junior players, actually, she's not junior anymore. She's 20 years of age. She's a girl called Francesca Jones, and she's going to be playing actually in her first Wimbledon um, this year, just actually in a couple of days. So, so I actually case manage uh, Fran Jones, and uh, that, that's kind of a role of overseeing, I guess, the, the large investment that the LTA put into her, and it's just overseeing where that, uh, where that money's going, how it's being spent, the team that she has around her, um, helping her to kind of put together the right team and also hopefully using a little bit of my own kind of tennis coaching um, knowledge um, and kind of directing her in the right way. It's actually, to be honest with you, there's actually been a role this year that I've spent a lot more time on the court with her uh, than I than I would have envisioned. Um, but that's really been a result of COVID and the fact that she's been based in the UK a lot this year and not in Barcelona where, where her training kind of base is. So I spent a lot of time Doing that, And I also have taken on this year, although I'm at the beginning stages of it, I'm trying to put together a little bit of a, um, a strategy for, for the LTA in regards to how we're going to, to look to be supporting players that are in American college, um, not just when they're over there, but also potentially when they come out of college. And that's something that's very close to my heart because, because I, I, I spent four years in that American system. And I think it's a it's a big area of which um, the LTA can do better with, and I know that tennis ireland is is very, very interested in it, and they acknowledge that this is this is the big aspect of tennis development that um, they need to focus on. Um, so I think the LTA needs to follow suit with that as well. Um and then I also do quite a lot of work. Um, with British doubles players the women the female doubles players so I'm quite busy at the moment um, but it's everything that I'm doing or projects that I that I really love to do so it doesn't feel like hard work for me at all.
0: Yes yeah no that's great and I, I do remember watching um, Fran Jones back in Australian Open when she kind of qualified for that and, and that, that was that was brilliant um, and and then in terms of the commentary obviously that's great to be doing that in Wimbledon maybe more so how did that all start for you getting into into media after you stopped playing?
1: well actually it didn't start um, immediately after I after I stopped playing the tennis coaching career was what really kind of took off after I s- stopped playing but I always had a real interest um, in the media but I also you know I'm a tennis fan I, I watch a lot of tennis whenever I'm not working in tennis um, I feel like I was a little bit of a kind of tennis encyclopedia but I've realized I probably don't know as much as you do Adam but um, you know, I think that if 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 you love the game, then you know obviously, and you have an opportunity to get involved in the media, then 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 that was one that I had to take. Um, but it was also because when I when I first had my my children, my coaching career, which at that point was very much based on the tour, working with the top um, British female tennis players, I was no longer travelling on the tour, so I, I wasn't at Grand Slams anymore, um, and I think that being involved in the commentary has been an excellent way for me to keep in touch um, with the standards and the levels of the of the game the very top level of the game Um, so it was it was something that I I made a couple of calls I specifically actually contacted Wimbledon to begin with um, and they were very very keen to get me involved on the on the Wimbledon channel and and Radio Wimbledon which I think has a pretty high following listening wise around the world and it's to be honest with you it's absolutely fabulous it's it's kind of the best two weeks it's a great team and we all enjoy ourselves and it's pretty good to get to watch a lot of tennis at the same time um, and then from there I just um, you just word of mouth you send a couple of emails and, and people start to to make contact um, with you so it's it's kind of gone a little bit it's gone from there but I'm, I'm very conscious that I, I'm still a coach at heart and I, I try to make sure that I keep that balance um at the right level at the moment
0: yeah yeah and would you have any kind of most exciting moments or most kind of nervous moments as as a commentator commentating matches on wimbledon or or elsewhere i think the first
1: moments were without (laughs) a doubt the the most nerve-wracking ones and i mean I, i think it was four years ago when i started with radio wimbledon and i mean i was absolutely green beforehand and you're you're preparing, you're trying to prepare as much as you can in terms of all the notes that you're taking. You're trying to go in there, um, you know, with that with that element of of preparation, but you're kind of going into unfamiliar territory. And I still have a lot of nerves doing it. I think that's important to have that, to kind of be on the edge um with it. And I'm still learning um, a lot. I'm very lucky to have in in, in in Radio Wimbledon and also especially working on the ATP tour, there's a couple of producers that that are you know, not short of giving you advice, which I think is is really important. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm still a work in progress,
0: that's for sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, I want to come back in a little bit to touch on kind of the coaching work that you've, you're doing and you have done, I guess, since you stopped playing. But to bring you back a little bit, Claire, how did tennis start for you and how did you kind of get into it and start to play kind of a bit more and start competing and mm. how, how was all that for you?
1: Um, I think it was I, I was Say I was the youngest of four children growing up in Belfast which isn't exactly a mecca of tennis players um, but I had two parents who enjoyed I would say they enjoyed playing tennis but more than anything they enjoyed socializing at the tennis club and in those days, there was very strict rules that kids weren't allowed in the bar. So uh, there was only really one thing to do, and that was to go out onto the tennis courts. And I think I was particularly lucky because I was the youngest of four. So I always had you know my, my brothers and my sisters to play tennis with. Um, and I, I I just I think I just absolutely loved it. There was no question of that. But I was also, I think, at a young age, I was very, very aware of Of tennis on TV, particularly Wimbledon. And um, when you're when you're watching something and you see something, I guess, that beautiful, that spectacular, center court at Wimbledon, um, you you start to dream of one day being there. And I I remember really from a very young age hitting the ball against the wall and thinking, you know, one day I'm going to be doing this, you know, at Wimbledon. Um, And I think those types of thoughts they make you hit a lot more. They keep you out there for a hundred more or 200 more. But I think that my, my mom would say that it was it was obvious that I had this this ability, um, the sporting ability. And I think it was really kind of at that time, no, no matter kind of what sport I was playing, I was, I was doing quite well at it. Um, and I think she thought that I was much more sporty than academic as well. So she was very happy to kind of pursue that, um, that focus um, for me. And it, it it just took off actually quite quickly, Adam. I, I played um, a tournament to start with, at the Cave Hill Club in Belfast. There were four people in that tournament, under 10. I won that tournament. And, and then I would have gone on to play at the Belfast Boat Club, the Ulster Championships. And um, I, 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 I guess I was doing quite well. And I think when, when you're a kid, especially at that age, and you're winning, you're going to want to do more, aren't you? It's, it's a kind of natural thing. Um, so I kept playing and I, I then remember my parents took me to the my first tournament down south at Donnybrook under 11. And that was a totally new ball game for me because there was a lot more players then. And I, I was a little bit you're uh, nervous. I didn't know the environment at all. Um, I lost in the final of that tournament to Yvonne Flynn, um, who was my great rival under 12. She was a year older than me, but she was she was a great rival and, uh, and a very good friend. Um, and but from then it just kind of snowballed to, to playing in the Irish Open, under twelve, um, and that was a, that was a massive tournament for me. And actually, I think probably even today, if I was to kind of pick what were your best kind of tennis moments, I think winning Fitzwilliam under twelve in 1989, where I, I, I hit a forehand cross court winner against Yvonne Flynn in that final, and I'm sorry if she's listening that she kind of knows that I'm bringing that up. Uh, I think that was probably one of the most, you know, important moments in my young journey because it felt so big. It felt it felt massive, um, and I was very lucky actually in my kind of junior career that I had a, a, a lot of success at the at the Irish Open in Fitzwilliam. Um, I remember that year looking at kind of the boards and and seeing all the champions of all the age groups and realizing that nobody had won the under-12s, the under-14s, the under-16s, and the under-18s. And I think at the same year, it might have been the year later, Stuart Doyle was playing in the under-18s, and he had actually won 12s, 14s, 16s. And Stuart was a great player. He was about to go to Arkansas on a tennis scholarship, but his big rival was was Scott Barron. And Scott had been improving a lot. He'd been playing, I think, getting into kind of playing professional tennis. He'd been on the ITF circuit. Um, but Stuart, I think, was the number one seed and he was going to, you know, for me, he was about to do it. He was about to win all four titles and he dislocated his knee, you know, the, the first day of the tournament or the week after. And I remember thinking, gosh, what, what is it about trying to do this? That's this must be such a, you know, I, it really stuck with me. I thought maybe there's an omen on trying to do that. But when I won the under 12s, my goal kind of was to try to win all, all of the age groups. Um and I, I was, I was, I was able to do that, um, and I, and actually I think I, when I was winning the age groups, I was always winning them a year young or even a year out of the out of the age group. So um, yeah, that's t- tennis kind of took off for me at a, at a young age, but I think it certainly helps whenever you're doing well.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. Now it's good to have kind of stories and, and, and memories like that from from those days, and obviously the success that you that you had. And I guess as you then. Grew up and kind of you got a bit older and kept kept winning. Now you moved to to Dublin and um, to where you kind of trained and, and lived. So how was that? And then I guess going going abroad, like junior Wimbledon, all those, how how was it then as you got more competitive traveling around as well for your tennis? Yes, I was
1: I was very lucky at, at the time when I was kind of much younger than I moved to Dublin. And and I don't think everybody would have had the same experience. But for me, I was myself and Karen Nugent, George McGill. Um, we're certainly very lucky that, that um, in a sense that that time Matt Doyle had become the Irish national coach, and I guess Matt's strategy was that um, firstly he was he was able to get quite a lot of sponsorship because he, he had friends in high places and such. But um, I think his strategy was look, we're going to pick a couple of people who we really think have this you know strong ability, and we're going to invest you know a lot in them, um, and I think from for me and for Karen in particular, that was fantastic I think for a lot of the other players that was probably very very difficult because you know we got we got a lot of investment um, in our tennis at a very young age. National squads were were quite big at the time and we were able to go to those national squads from Belfast getting onto the train going down to dublin uh, and there was just you know the investment really kind of helped um, when I was 13, Matt had spoken to my parents um, and said that, you know, she's going to need to to go. She's going to need to come to Dublin. And at that time, you know, when I was 13 years of age, I was the number one senior player in Ulster. Um, I was playing interprovincials at 13. um, And I, I loved being at home. There's nothing that I loved more. I had, I had wonderful coaches at home i had a great environment at the belfast boat club i i found the traveling very very difficult as a a tennis player but i had this absolute love for the game of tennis and i I always struggled to kind of reconcile those two things loving the game but not loving the life of a a tennis player so when matt said to my my parents that i was gonna you know i have to come and live in in dublin that if i'm honest with you adam that broke my heart it was it was a very very difficult thing for me to do and Um, I actually won the under 16 Irish Fitzwilliam title when I was under 14. And when I won that title on the Saturday afternoon, I drove home that night knowing that on the Sunday I was driving back to Dublin to live with a family that I didn't know and go to a school that I knew nobody kind of in. Um, And I was kind of, I just won the Irish under 16 title and I'm crying my eyes out in the back of the car, you know, it, it was... If I if I could say that, I, I would say probably it felt quite traumatic for me um to kind of do that, but it was what I had to do. Um so I went to Dublin. I I lived with a family in Donnybrook and I trained at the national uh all the national squads, particularly under Matt Doyle, um when I was you know 14 doing my junior cert in third year. Um and at weekends I would go back home and um it was it was tough. It was very, very tough. I, I, I think that uh, in kind of retrospect, whether I could have gone to a boarding school, that might have made a little bit of of a difference. But yeah, it was it was a big change for me, and I think also for for a kid from Northern Ireland um, in, in those days, you know, I was going up and down on the train to to Dublin, and you know, often you'd be taken off that train for bomb scares and kind of different things. There was there was an awful lot kind of going on. Um, at the time um, but as I said it was kind of what I had to do to, to if I wanted to kind of take my tennis to the to the next level so for the first two years being in Dublin and training under Matt Doyle was brilliant you know there was no there was no question about it my game was improving an awful lot um, at 15 I made the Irish Fed Cup team which I, I, I think I'm, I'm pretty sure I, I'm the youngest ever player to play for Ireland um, and that was like a dream come true to be able to get on that Fed Cup team at 15 with Karen Nugent and Gina Ireland and Siobhan Nicholson. Um was was so special for me. Um but my 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 by the time I got to about 15 and a half, 16, Matt Doyle was was leaving Tennis Ireland. Um and he said to me, You need to go to the States, you need to go now. You know, this is you're not going to grow anymore as the player. And and I, at that point, I didn't make that decision to go to America. I was scared, if I'm honest with you, I was scared of leaving, making another step away um, and, and, and doing, you know, just just doing that. So I, I stayed put for the next two years in Ireland, did my Leaving Cert, but my, my game wasn't growing at all. Um, I wasn't developing. Um, I was very aware of that. That At 15, I felt that I was actually in terms of a tennis player internationally, I was I was pretty good. You know, I, I possibly had a, a shot at, at being kind of a top like I don't know whether it would have been a top 100 player, or top 50 player. But at that point, I, I was kind of felt on track. By the time I got to 17, I, I didn't believe in myself really at all um I, I didn't see myself being inside the top 200 in the world without a huge amount of more investment um and yeah if I, if i probably could go back i would maybe think about those kind of years a little bit a little bit differently um but the tennis wasn't fantastic but the journey of of playing tennis in ireland and the friends that i made um those were all very, very special to me and, and memories that I, I would kind of have kind of forever. They were very, very important it, and and I and I really I really enjoyed all of the other aspects um to to tennis as well.
0: Yeah, yeah. Now kind of it strikes me even as you're saying that that it's kind of a series of those difficult decisions at the right times that kind of can keep the development going as as it's needed. So and obviously you said how traumatic it was moving to Dublin and then maybe you didn't move to the States initially and then like you did go obviously for college afterwards like do you think there could be or there should be another way that you can develop without having to move and make me so difficult like would would it be possible almost to have a system where that wasn't so necessary or is that kind of a just part and parcel of how to develop players sort of in in a system like this Uh, look I think that
1: what what you need you need a lot of you know, you need a lot of money to develop tennis players. So, I mean, tennis is not cheap, and um, today's tennis is a lot more expensive than it was in my day. I mean, when I look at the the team surrounding, you know, even even Fran Jones, you're talking about physiotherapists, you're talking about strength and conditioning coaches, um, you obviously dietitians, psycho- sports psychologists, hitting partners. Co- it's the 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 money that is involved to be a tennis player is just extraordinary. So I think that's probably one of the kind of first things you kind of need. But um, I think that what's difficult, what was difficult in my case was that my family weren't with me. And I think it depends on your age. Um, I, I, I follow a lot Georgia Adrammey and I, I, I think it's great what she's doing. I was so happy to see her a couple of years ago playing in junior Wimbledon. Um, and I, her father, Victor Adrammey, actually took me on one of my first trips under 14. So I think she's got in her parents she's got very you know you're know, wise people that kind of know the system and the structure and I know she went out to the states when she was 16 years of age you know, 16 is a lot different than 14 especially you know for a girl you're you're more mature at that point um and I think maybe that's that you know that that's been that maybe a very kind of good call for her she went to a great academy with good kind of people around her um, and, and then she was able to have that exposure to the top level of the game because I think that's really important. I think that's something with which I never really had as a, as a kid. I didn't have exposure to top players, top, you know, the very best coaches. I didn't really know what standard I was trying to make. Mm-hmm. Um, I yeah. just saw it on TV. Um, and I think for, for kids growing up, you need to kind of understand the standards. That That's kind of so important. Um, uh, and I think just have... You know, very strong set of, of of parents that understand the system as well and kind of stick with you um, in that. And in terms of do you need to go away from home? Um, I don't know because I don't know enough about what happens in in Irish tennis. The from a from a perspective of the coaches and and the system, I guess there. But I would say that you would need to get out of Ireland to see the. To see the level and the standards that are going on around the world, and whether that's just playing tournaments or going to places for training set, you know, training, whether it's that way, whether you have to do the complete move, I, I don't know that one hundred percent.
0: Yeah, is there any kind of regret that you have that you didn't go earlier? And when that Matt said it, or do you think that you're happy with the kind of the journey you had? And it was just, it was too tough a move to make.
1: Um, I, I'm. I'm I'm okay with the decision that I made. You know, I when I when I think when, uh Andy Murray I think when he was 15, he said to his mom, "I need to go to Spain." Um, and I knew I think that's the difference between the two of us. You know, he was he was that I need to do that to get to that next level. I obviously didn't want it enough. You know, it was uh, and and whether or not that was because my experiences at a young age already were where I was maybe too too exposed or too lonely or too you know I had maybe the younger experiences maybe I in retrospect those maybe could have been a little bit um, I could have been a little bit more protected from them. Um, yeah, that's uh, so no, I don't I don't regret it and I, and I think that one of the things that I'm particularly pleased about was that I was able to stay in full time education. Yeah. um and, and that was something that anybody that that knew me at that time would know that i didn't go to school that much I, I i would have said that um you know if there was a regret that i would have it was that i looked at myself from a very young age because i was going to be a tennis player um and i and i didn't you know i, I don't think i valued my my education enough um at a young age and i was i was i was given a bit of a lifeline because I ended up getting a scholarship to UC Berkeley, which ironically is probably one of the most academic universities, uh, public schools in, in, in the country. Um, and I was able to do that because, like many others, um, Peter Wright, who's the men's coach there, um, had had he, he actually always came to the tournament in Belfast. And that was because his granny lived just beside the tennis club. So he always made that trip. And so I knew him from a young age and and he then took me to the Orange Bowl uh, when I was about 17. And he said to me, you should think about American colleges. And I thought, oh, no, who's gone to those? You couldn't do that. Um, And then he obviously spoke to the to the head coach on the women's team at Berkeley and said this this girl, she can play singles and doubles. Um, And I'm sure that that coach kind of thought she's Irish. We haven't had a lot of Irish kind of players. But it was the fact that, that I could play singles and doubles that interested them. So I, I basically the last five months of school in Dublin, I think I crammed three years of work into five months and I and I got myself through that leaving cert. don't know how I did that, but I got myself through it. I got what I needed to get to Berkeley and then and then I had this opportunity, um, not just a second chance at my education but also this incredible opportunity to have this exposure to, you know, the most elite level of sport that I can kind of, could, could even imagine.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, and just a couple of, of points just from earlier on, just before we move on to the kind of the college experience for you. Do you think that obviously you mentioned that you were one of kind of the, the small number of players who got a lot of the investment from kind of tennis mm-hmm. Ireland. Was there a lot of pressure that you felt from that or did that not really kind of, register with you at the time of, of that sort of pressure that came from that?
1: Um, I, I think that I, I didn't feel pressure, like pressure that I, that I needed to, to go out and, um, uh, you know, and do, do these kind of amazing things. But I, I think that I was aware that um, I was aware that I was probably getting more than, than other people. And I, and I don't know whether or not that makes you really popular um I don't you know in that sense and I you know it wasn't I guess it wasn't my fault that if that makes sense it was just the way it was I mean I would have I would have preferred to have lived in my family house and go to my school in Belfast and be able to play tennis than have to get on the you know to be kind of taken away from home so early but you know Tennis Ireland um Tennis Ireland you know funded that entire investment in in me which was at that time, and even now, I'm sure when people kind of look back on that, that's that's very, very, very unique. Um, and I was, you know, I was, I'm very, very grateful that that, that they that they did that. But I'm sure that there would, would have probably been other kids at the time, uh, certainly other parents um, at the time that 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 maybe didn't would have seen it in a different way.
0: Yeah, yeah, and just another point is just on Junior Wimbledon because you mentioned that. Hmm like Wimbledon you kind of had those dreams of of playing at Wimbledon someday and I guess as we'll say later you did you know at, at a senior level and um, you know late after after that but how was the junior wimbledon experience of of playing there and yeah just being there and and, and playing
1: um well oh, gosh uh so that was the summer of 1996 and to get to junior wimbledon you had to travel around the world and play a lot of ITF junior tournaments uh, and at that point, I think even in the summer of 1994, I took a trip out to um, to Bratislava by myself, which is a 16-year-old without a mobile phone. It was a pretty tough thing to do. Uh, Bratislava for a week. And then I took a train up to Hungary where I met uh, a coach, Jenny O'Brien, who tra- who traveled with me for the next two weeks to those tournaments. So I, I kind of had got this real taste of what... Being a tennis player was like and i find it very very hard if i if i would say the, but but i i did it I, I went away from home for christmas days um for two years to play those itf kind of circuits um in in south america um, and there was it was kind of like a huge sacrifice to try to get your ranking to get into kind of junior wimbledon and actually Two years before I got into Junior Wimbledon, Karen Nugent had actually made the quarterfinals of Junior Wimbledon, which even to this day, I, the girl that she lost to in the quarters went on to play the final, um, and uh, Martina Hingis beat that girl in the final. But I think Karen was probably a couple of games away from making the final of Junior Wimbledon, really. So you know, I had this person who was two years older than me, who was you know, who was kind of showing me the way a little bit, um, which I was very lucky lucky to have, but um for me playing junior Wimbledon was a dream come true but at the time it was it was very very difficult because um there, there had kind of been a personal I guess tragedy that had happened just in the in the day that I actually left um for for kind of for Wimbledon and I think probably many people who listen to your podcast will will obviously have, have known Gareth Parker who was a who was a tennis player uh from Northern Ireland but trained in Dublin and very, very sadly, uh, he, he died about uh, a week before I went to Junior Wimbledon um, in, uh, in, in what was kind of uh, a very bad um, I guess a fight outside a bar in, in, in Belfast. So the day I left for Junior Wimbledon, I actually went for his to his funeral and, and I couldn't really um, you know I was there, but I wasn't really present. I found it uh, I thought there was a lot bigger things kind of in life. Uh, than than kind of tennis at that point, but also I was, uh, yeah, I was just very, very sad that somebody from Northern Ireland uh, who was so into tennis as well and so committed to it, something like that tragic could could kind of happen to him and I was kind of probably deeply affected by that that during my time at Wimbledon that summer, but but also actually probably for the really rest of the summer. It was, it was a difficult time, I think for for everybody.
0: Yeah, that that's that's really tough to have that, and I guess it does give you the kind of perspective when you go to Wimbledon that it isn't, you know, as you said, there are more important things than than the tennis.
1: Yeah, I think I think on the tennis court at Wimbledon, what I did realize, and I and I think this is probably the same. I think Gene and Ireland said the same, exactly the same thing, is that what you do when you haven't been on those courts, but you've watched it on TV. What you end up doing is you go onto the court and you just spend your time noticing all of the. You, you notice everything. You notice the Robinson signs, you notice the clocks on the walls, you notice the Ivy, uh, the ball boys, and your focus is completely and utterly away from actually trying to play a tennis match. Um, and I, I wish, in hindsight, I wish that I had have gone to Wimbledon more often as a kid to watch it and absorb the atmosphere, because uh, that's all I did when I was when I was on the court. I, I didn't perform particularly well either.
0: Yeah, yeah. And, and obviously, in a little bit, we can come on and kind of talk about when you got to Wimbledon again a few years later as a a senior player but firstly you mentioned a little bit earlier on the the US College going to to Berkeley so how how was the tennis firstly and obviously you said it was an academic university so how was that kind of balance as well when you were over there
1: it was tough it was tough for me anyway Um, when, when I got there I I was it was a top 10 tennis school and I had no idea what the NCAAs was. I didn't know when people were saying we're trying to win an NCAA championships. I was you know, oblivious to kind of all of this. But, but what I noticed straight away was that I was in an environment that academically people were really committed to their academics. But from a sports perspective, not just on my tennis team. I mean, I was on a tennis team that had the Australian number one. The, one of the top US players, the Hungarian number one. I mean, players that had all played in Junior Grand Slams. And I was on this team with those people, but but they were really committed to getting their, their education. So I wouldn't say that there was a great deal of kind of partying around the tennis and the academics. It was pretty much head down and you, you, you worked hard, but it was exactly what I wanted because I still wanted to be a professional tennis player when I went there. Um, and I remember somebody saying to me, gosh you're going to Berkeley you've got a coach that's really like she's she's a bit out of control she's fairly intense and uh you know I remember thinking but that's exactly what I want I want a coach that's going to wake me up at 6 a.m and get go running with me and or put us on a track because those were all things that I was already doing but I was doing them by myself um and to do them with a team was uh, I mean it it was exceptional and uh The the most amazing thing, I think, for me going to Berkeley was that obviously I've kind of said I I didn't really like going away and different things like that. But from the first night that I got there, I didn't feel homesick once. And and I'm pretty sure that's because I was part of a team for the first time. I think, you know, a team tennis wise on a daily basis that everything we were doing, all our commitments we were making for each other and for the team, and that had a huge influence on me then, and also even now, as kind of I went into the professional career and you know Fed Cups later on. That that whole team environment and trying to become a number one team um, made just it, you know it actually became so important to me. Um, but I think that the the experience at, at Berkeley was we we made the final four twice. Um, we didn't win the team championships. I think we had an opportunity one year, uh, and we we kind of cracked under the pressure. But my my final um, my final year at Berkeley was the year that I I was able to win the NCAA's in doubles, right. and that was um, I mean that that was that was amazing. I can I can only kind of I can only say it was something that I worked really hard to try to achieve. And um, to be able to win that NCAAs with my partner, Amy Jensen, to know that you're going to go to the US Open uh, as an Irish tennis player and compete in New York. Uh, and I didn't know if I would ever play professional tennis after that. I didn't know what the future kind of held, but I knew that I, I would have played in a Grand Slam. And, and that was that was astonishing kind of for me. It was a, It's an incredible achievement. But I think at the time, not really many people in Ireland Really
0: knew, yeah,
1: what that was, yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, and and obviously as you say that does move into the the U.S. Open, and you got I guess a taste of Grand Slam tennis probably a lot than you would have expected because it kind of came straight from from the N.C.A. So how, how was was that match? I know you had a, a great match against um, Hingis and Pierce, so obviously a, mm-hmm. a, a a tough first round draw, but how, how was that week for you and, and the match and uh, the experience of Grand Slam tennis kind of quite early.
1: I've actually got a good story about that, which I'll kind of say, uh, you know, after this Um, playing Hingis and Pierce in the first round of the U.S. Open and they they had just won the French Open in doubles. Hingis was number one in the world. Pierce had just won the French Open in singles that year. Uh, I'd never been on court with a player inside the top hundred in the world, so to go on and play H- Hingis and Pierce um, was uh, it was a, it was in, it was incredible. But but I had also been in this environment for four years, the American environment, where really the expectation anything is possible. You know, I was no longer you know a, a little kid from from Belfast that hadn't had kind of much exposure to, to kind of the, the top level athletes. I'd been living with you know Olympic swimmers and I'd had much more of a taste of what real top level professional kind of sport was. Um, and also, you know, Amy and I in winning the NCAAs, we were a really good team. You you don't win that title if you're not if you're not good kind of players. And I would probably actually say that she was probably the strongest person that I actually ever played with, even going in as a professional after that um but yes we went on court against against them and it was it was very very special for me to have Ireland beside my name in New York oh I can't you can't kind of imagine what that kind of meant but um but I hadn't really been part of tennis Irish tennis for kind of quite a few years at the time and and I don't think even then I don't don't really think even anybody from tennis ireland actually acknowledged it even at the time so that was a, it was it was kind of a little bit strange but i guess it, it didn't really matter you just kind of went on and you played and we were actually five one up on the first set um and we weren't doing anything special we were just doing the basics cross courts doing we were five one up and i have this feeling that i really wanted to pass mary pierce down the line with my return you don't know i just thought i really want to put one past you and i hit On set point, I hit the lowest percentage return of serve down the line that literally landed in the bottom of the net, literally didn't even make the net. Um, And that changed the course of the match. I wish if I had one point back in my life, I just went across court with that return. Um, We lost the game. I got broken in the next game. They held and suddenly it was 5-4. Um, and luckily, my doubles partner, Amy Jensen, had much stronger nerves than me. She held that set, that, that set. We won at 6-4, but we had lost the momentum yeah. of the match. And uh, on paper, actually, we lost the next set, 6 love. But we actually had five out of those next six games. We had game points. We just, we were just, they were just mentally much, much tougher. And we lost the third set, 6-1. But that that moment did a couple of things for me. Firstly, it made me realize that I could, play top level tennis and i was that i was i thought i was pretty good at what i was doing um and secondly and i think this was probably one of the one of the other things that was very important to me was that at that time i got five thousand dollars for my prize money and it was my first event as a as a professional i was no longer an amateur um but tony o'reilly the the former um british and irish lion who who also I guess sponsored me as a kid because he he sponsored Tennis Ireland through Heinz. Tony O'Reilly was my I guess my dad's boss because he my dad was a newspaper editor and he owned the newspapers. Um and and he had he had just before I was in New York my dad had gone to the south of France to a kind of executives um you know weekend and Tony O'Reilly made this kind of big speech about. Uh Ed's daughter was the you know, I think the first Irish woman, I think I was, but I'm not entirely sure the first Irish woman to be competing at the, at the US Open main draw. Um and he made this big speech about it. And then about three weeks after I got back to Berkeley, because I was still finishing my my college uh my my college uh academics, I got this check through the post um from Heinz, from Tony O'Reilly, which uh, was a check for 15000 dollars um so with a note on it um so I think for me there there was only one way I was going and that was to kind of play professional tennis but certainly the fact that I had $20,000 in my bank account when I finished university was 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 it was a big was a big help and and I think that uh that's something that that he did for me that probably he's done for many other people that would never ever say anything you know it's it was a kind of pretty pretty special story but um what what I wanted to say to you about that match that we played in in New York was that, 17 years later, Martina Hingis, uh, I'm sitting at Wimbledon um, up in the up in the players area, um, and I'm it's very early in the morning, and I'm at the coffee bar getting a coffee, and Martina Hingis is is standing beside me, and she, she's looking at me, she's just kind of looking at me, and I'm thinking she wants to say something to me, uh, and she just looks at me and she says do you remember that match Uh, and I kind of acted a little bit um you know oblivious of course I remember I have a a shrine to it in my house in Belfast um and she she said do you remember that match and I said I remember that match and she said I said I can't believe you remember it and she said oh yeah I I said to Mary we're getting our butts kicked what are we going to do you know and and I said I said to her you have just made my day. Actually, you've made my week, probably my month. Um, but I, I thought it was a lovely story because, I mean, I can't remember who I played in the first round of. You know, for her, it's probably the equivalent of you know, playing, you know, the you know the Irish Open, you know, juniors first round. I could, I can't remember some of the doubles matches, and for Hingis to kind of remember that, um, I thought that was pretty cool. But then I, I also thought maybe she's been told to say that. I don't know.
0: And that is it for part one. Do make sure to join us again next week for part two, where Claire talks a lot more about her pro tennis days. She talks about making the switch from representing Ireland to representing Great Britain, why that came about, how that period was for her. Claire also talks about finally achieving the Wimbledon dream. She talks about moving into the coaching after her playing days and a lot more. I hope you enjoyed this part one. I certainly, certainly did. And I think if you did, you'll also love part two coming next week. A big thanks for listening to this episode of the podcast. Please do consider subscribing, leaving a review, leaving a rating, and sharing the podcast with anybody else that you think might also enjoy us. Until next week, until part two, that's all for now, and goodbye.